Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. All right. Well, this is the beginning, as Josh mentioned, of our, of our campaign. We're starting with the message time today, and that will be followed each Sunday with a with a, a message uh, for the next nine weeks, and then there's the group experience, which I really, really hope that you'll take um, advantage of. And and even if you're not, if you're not, haven't been in a group, or you're or you're currently not in a group, uh, get in touch with Josh on that if you would, and we'll see if we can make that happen. That's not always an easy thing, but and then the devotional guides as well are uh, are, are there. Starting, you could start today with that, or you can start to, tomorrow. Um, but there's 63 days in the next nine weeks for you mathematicians out there, right? The major prophets, they call them major not because they're more important than the minor prophets, but the, it's the bulk of their work, the, the size or the amount of content. Uh, Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Following those, we have what we call the minor prophets, uh, beginning with Hosea, Joel, Amadiah, uh, Hosea, Joel, Obadiah, Amos. Now, now I can't even say them. Help me out. Isaiah, or uh, yeah, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. That's I think that's right. Is that right, Reuben? Yeah, good. Micah, chapter six, verse uh, one. Through eight, will you turn there with me and follow and read with me if you would? And we'll have it on the screen, I believe, as well. Micah 6, verses 1 through 8. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me, for I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak king of Moab devised and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. What does the Lord require? With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul? And then verse 8 which is our, our theme verse. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness, which also the Hebrew word there is often translated mercy, as you probably are aware of that, and to walk humbly with your God. It's become a meme. I, you've probably seen it. You've, 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 I, undoubtedly, you've seen it. Be a good human. Just be a good 
human. Uh, the American uh, rapper Jamal Phillips is selling t-shirts and caps. Have you seen any of those? Just be a good human. Scripture says he's told you, oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Oh man. Yeah, we, you know, sometimes we approach scripture and we kind of yawn, but, you know, we're becoming so deficient in human language, I think we want everything on video. Uh, but I, I want you to know that the words in this book here have more width and more depth and are more profound than any video you'll ever see or watch. The topics that we're uh, considering throughout this next nine weeks are, are massive. And, uh, and, and if you're wondering about nine weeks based on one verse, it's because of the size of these, these subjects, subject matter of justice and mercy and humility. These themes are, are gigantic in Scripture and in our lives, too, as well. Now, there's a lot of talk these days about the need for social justice. But the concept of justice requires an ethical system, a, uh, a basis for morality. And where does that come from? It's a really important question because while our culture trumpets a call for justice, our culture at the same time is repudiated the ethical framework and the moral foundation upon which uh, our society has been, has been built. So we need to hear from God on this to these all-important questions. How do we know what is good? Where does good come from? Micah has a clear call, a clear response. He says, God has told you, O man, what is good. So, as we get into these nine messages, we're going to be exploring not only what it means to be human, but what it means to be a, a good one. Now, ingrained in the idea of uh, right and wrong, it, it's, it's so ingrained in our hearts, you know, and there's a reason for that. It's, it's, it's not even so much an idea as it's, it's like a, a sense that we have. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who was, who was brilliant, referred to this as a sense of oughtness. And what he says in his, in, in his uh, book where he addresses the subject, I believe it's mere Christianity, he says, yes it was, he says that we don't always know what the right thing is, but we always know there is a right thing. And that's true. And... Uh, those who are trying to re-engineer our society, uh, they don't like to talk about things being innate, but I would suggest to you that that sense of oughtness is innate. We come into the world with it. Uh, a lot of the social scientists and psychologists of our day would like to suggest that it's all a matter of nurture and none a matter of nature, that we come into this world as blank slates without anything and that we are completely, totally uh, impressionable and therefore conditioned by the environment. 
Uh, the Bible would say that it's not uh, the, the case. That while many things are uh, a, a, a res response or a result of uh, nurture, that some things are a matter of nature. And this, uh, somebody else, I don't remember if it was Ch maybe Chesterton, said that we are incurably moral creatures. And again, it's not that we always do right. It's not that we always, because we know we don't. It's not because we always know what the right thing is. But we know there, there is a, a right thing. It's intuitive. It's instinctive. But how do we know what is good? Micah says he has shown you, God, God has shown you what is good. Um, who gets to determine what good is? Uh, he has shown you or told you what is good. When, where, how. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And we really need to consider the larger context of uh, Scripture and the ministry of the prophets and the revelation of the Word of God in regard to this question. And we hope to do that and unpack it more over the next nine weeks. But we really need to start. The best place to start is the beginning. In the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, we're not going to turn to Genesis chapter 1 this morning, but I venture to uh, guess that you already know what Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 says. It's probably one of the most well-known statements in all of Scripture because it's the very first thing the Bible says. Isn't that, isn't that you know, weighty? The very first thing the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, there is a recurring phrase that occurs throughout Genesis chapter 1. And there's actually more than one recurring phrase. Um, but there, there's one that's particularly pertinent to our questions that we're, that we're seeking answers for uh, here through today and throughout the series. And it is the phrase, um, it was good. What it actually says is that, it says, uh, that God said it was good. It, it occurs over and over. Each time God made something, what it actually says is, and God said, let there be, and there was. And God said, it is good. And we need to uh, recognize the fact that uh, in doing that, uh, one of the very first takeaways in all of these explorations that we're doing these days is that there is such a thing as good, there is such a thing as justice, because there is a God who is good and just, who created the world and all that is in the world, and he made it all good. All that God made was good. There's nothing wrong with the original creation. And we need to start there. That's where we need to start because uh, if we don't start there, we'll end up right where our current culture is heading. 
And we're going to be talking more about that. What is good? Well, I would suggest to you that, that, that that's the first thing that God really wants us to know about him, other than the fact that he's the creator, is that he's good. Otherwise, he wouldn't have repeated that phrase over and over and over again. Uh, why was it good? Because God is good. And when God does something, it's good. Every time, without exception. All his works are good. And as the creator of the world, God made the world and he made it good. And justice exists because goodness exists. What is good? Micah says, well, God has told you what is good. Well, when did God do that? He did it in the beginning. He showed us in the beginning when he made the world and made everything good. What is good is what is consistent with the character and the intentions and the nature of God, who is Lord over all. Things became bad when... You know this. When our first parents disobeyed God, that wasn't good. Thereby committing evil, and that's what Genesis chapter 3 is all about, and we're going to talk a little bit about that next week. But um, since the, what we call, commonly called the fall, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, since then, it's been necessary for us, every single human being has to choose good over evil. We all have those, those choices and we make them how many times a day? How many times a day are you and I faced with the choice of whether we're going to do good or not? And if you want a definition for evil, it's anything that's not good. But the main point this week is uh, for us to choose the good, we must know what the good is. He has shown you, he has told you, oh man, what is good. When did he do that? He did it at uh, creation. He made us good and we went wrong, but the instinct that we have of right and wrong, and the aspirations that we have to be good, be good human beings, that's from him. He put that in us. It's, it's part of, of the good. Part of the good is the knowledge that good exists, and part of the good is this uh, sense of oughtness and the, and the desire. Whenever you have a desire to do good, that comes from God. God put that in you. Whether you recognize him or not. Whether you recognize it or not, that he's done that. And God has obviously shown us what is not good in the process of showing us what is good. We call right and wrong. He has shown you, old man, what is good. We like to think that we, we know what's good without without being shown. Um, we don't want anybody to have to tell us. We, we like to think that we know and uh, uh, without referencing God or his creative plans. Um, but one of the devastating results of what we call the fall is how it has corrupted our minds. And you can read about that in Ephesians chapter 4 and actually the, the group curriculum this week uh, has some 
some questions on Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, next week, we're going to explore the relationship between truth and justice or between truth and goodness. Um, justice is what's right, and what's right is uh, what's good. There, in these nine weeks, we're going to be roughly focusing three weeks on justice, three weeks on mercy, and three weeks on humility. Um, but this morning, we really need to really park on this idea that uh, good exists because God exists. Good is, goodness is a real thing because God is real. He is good and he made us all good, made everything good. Good exists because a good God exists and made everything good. Everything God made is good. And you might say, well, the world I live in is filled with a lot of crap. And I do have biblical warrant for using that word. How do you explain that? Well, the biblical account does explain that. But first, first, we need to ask ourselves the question, how do you explain the goodness? There's a lot of goodness. And even in, even in the created, the natural world, uh, I think uh, Josh in his video, for group video this week, talks about taste and touch and smell and those things and how God could have made a world without any of those things. Why wouldn't he? Because God is good. Um, I hope that we can recognize that um, what we call uh, saving faith or biblical faith is faith in the goodness of God. Uh, Paul says in, in Romans chapter 2, he says, it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Think about that for a moment. It is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. Saving faith is faith in the goodness of God. The, uh, we say salvation is a gift. Life is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. Gifts that come from a good God, a loving, a loving God. You may recall uh, back a few months ago, for those of you who are with us, on our three-year journey through the Bible, when we were in the book of Acts, there was this point where Paul and, and Barnabas were, I think they were in Lystra or Iconium or someplace like that, but it was the first time in the record of the early church missionary journeys uh, where they ran into a, a crowd that was uh, almost entirely pagan. Nobody had uh, really any knowledge of the scriptures at all. They were all Gentile Gre Greeks and uh, idol worshipers. And uh, at one point they decided, the crowd decided that Paul was Zeus and Barnabas was Hermes and they started to make it, they were going to bring in the, you know, the, the oxen and offer and make sacrifices to them. And Paul runs out into the crowd tearing at his robe saying, no, don't do this. What, what are you doing? What are you doing? I, want you, I just want you to, to turn and I say, it'll be on the screen, but Acts chapter 14, verses 15 through 17, um, if we could just look at that, it says, man, why are you doing these things? We are all, we also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did uh, good. He did not leave himself without witness, for he did good. The goodness of creation is a witness to the goodness of God. He did good by giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. This is why when Micah, uh, when the passage we read in Micah chapter 6, where the prophet begins uh, speaking on behalf of God, and, and he calls the mountains and the foundations of the earth to witness against his people. That's why. Because the foundations of the earth are witness to the goodness and glory of God. And there are other passages throughout Scripture where God calls on creation to, to judge, if you will. Because the world that God made declares his goodness. Now, uh, to just be honest here today, uh, our culture has been attempting to re-engineer society by extracting God out of people's hearts and minds. By, by uh, extracting a knowledge of God or a belief in God out of people's hearts and minds. And these initiatives are generally led by people who don't like God. They don't like the idea of God. And they have this idea that the world would be a great place and my life would be wonderful if we could just uh, move on and put this notion of God behind us and push forward into a glorious new future of liberation and sophistication and humanism and I hope you know, I really, really, really hope you know this, that life doesn't get good when you pull God out of your thinking, of your beliefs, of your knowledge. It doesn't get good. It's not getting gooder. You know, I, there's, so, there's like a, a gazillion examples of this, you know. Uh, I'm old, so all my examples are old, but, you know, I think of a John Lennon song, and it might be, it, John Lennon's been dead for like how many years? 30, 40 years? I don't know, something like that probably. But, you know, that song, uh, Imagine, is still really popular. I hear all the time, I hear people saying, that's like the best song ever. If you listen to the words of it, it's, you know, that's basically what he's saying. He said we'd have a utopia if we could just get rid of the idea of God. And, of course, he was dreaming. Because, uh, yeah. If there is uh, no creator God, then the whole world and us in it are the result of blind chance and survival of the fittest. Can you appreciate the fact that if God does not exist, there's no such thing as good or evil? Nothing's good or nothing's bad. It just, it just is. Um, now, you may be one of the uh, fortunate few that, that get this and understand this, but the dominant voices in our culture today, in our world today, uh, don't seem, uh, seem to get 
to get it. I mentioned John Lennon's psalm, but I mean, every every day we see we see evidence of this that people uh, who take this uh, approach to life and and um, I want I want us to, I want us to understand that there is no basis for any of these things we're talking about without the existence of a good God. There is no justice. There's no such thing as justice. There's no basis for justice. There is no equality. Where, where, where does, where does the, the, the idea of equality come from? What, what is it that makes that concept uh, true that we are, that we are equal? Freedom, justice, equality, and mercy, and humility cannot survive a materialistic worldview. Um, the, the contemporary social justice movement typically goes off the rails right at the start, and that's why real justice will not survive the current social justice movement, because there's a failure to recognize God, and it leaves people lost uh, without uh, guidance on these most critical uh, matters. And I, I want to say as well that the uh, atheistic uh, evolutionary conjecture of our society is no more scientific than the Christian belief in creation. In fact, I would say it's less, it's less scientific because at least there's evidence for creation. It's called design. I read uh, an article a while back. It was entitled, The Need for Myth in Our Quest for Human Rights. The Need for Myth in Our Quest for Human Rights. Written by a uh, PhD uh, named Yuval Noah Harari. I'm not overly familiar with the man, but he wrote a book entitled, Sapiens, A Brief, a Brief History of Humankind. He's an atheistic professor. And one of the interesting things about uh, Dr. Harari is he has uh, proposed that the, the uh, United States Declaration of Independence should be rewritten. Uh, you're probably all familiar with the, um, uh, I'm sure you've heard the words from the preamble of the U United States Declaration of Independence where it says that uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident. I think we have, have a slide for that. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Okay, so that's, that's part of the preamble from the declaration. What Harari proposes, and we'll put that up as well, he says it should read like this. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men evolve differently, that they are born without, or sorry, they're, they're born with certain mutable characteristics, and uh, that among these are life and the pursuit of pleasure. No equality, no liberty, uh, no justice. Because what he's saying here is that logically, logically, no creation means <laughs> no anything that we value. Because there is no value and there's no meaning, honestly, honestly, 
If you're going to have it, you're going to have to make up a myth to support it. And that's why he, he uh, called, uh, that's why the, in the title, he called it, uh, where is it here? Uh, the need for myth in our quest for human rights. And, but what we're seeing is, is that more and more contemporary uh, modern atheists who are, are recognizing this fact that they can't sustain any kind of real moral uh, framework without a creation narrative. And so they're saying, on the one hand, we know it's, you know, creation is a myth, but it's a myth we need. Because even though there is no God, we sure need him. And a lot of modern atheists are recognizing this fact. And they're even, some of them are even saying it out loud and writing it in journals. Which I find is quite, quite something. Just before we move away from this, I want to show you one more. This is from the uh, Universal Declaration of Human Rights. So now we're talking... Uh, um, the uh, um, help me out here United Nations General Assembly they adopted this in 1948 and uh, I'm sure you've, you've heard it uh, this is from the preamble it begins whereas recognition of the inherent dignity and of the equal and unalienable rights of all members of the human family is the foundation of freedom, justice, peace in the world so what have they done here? They've removed God. I mean, like, well, they've removed them. They, he's not there. He doesn't make an appearance. But they still have freedom, justice, peace. Interesting. We, want, we, 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 we love to have it both ways, don't we? Uh, let, me, let me quote uh, Niall Ferguson. I don't know if you know who Niall Ferguson is. I heard his name through time. He's a historian. Uh, but uh, I didn't know a lot about him. But let me re read something that, that, that he has written. And uh, he writes, I was brought up an atheist. Any of you, any of you know who Niall Ferguson is? Have you heard the name before? Okay, well, he's not a Christian. Uh, he's not even a theist. He doesn't even believe in God. He's a highly respected scholar and historian. He's the Milbank Family Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution of, at Stanford University. Prior to that, he was uh, a professor at Harvard, um, at the London School of Economics, New York University. In 2004, he was named uh, by Time Magazine as one of Time's uh, Magazine's 100 most influential people in the world. And uh, he, write, he writes these words. He says, I was brought up an atheist. I didn't become one. I regard atheism as a religious faith I happen to be brought up in. He is an atheist, okay? Don't forget that. It is, of course, as much a faith as Christianity or Islam, but I have come to see as a historian that you can't base a society on that. Isn't that interesting? He says, indeed, atheism, particularly in its militant forms, is really a very dangerous metaphysical framework for a society. He says, I don't buy the idea that evolution alone gets us to be moral. It can modify behavior, but there's just too much evidence that in the raw, when the constraints of civilization fall away, 
we behave in the most savage way to one another. I'm a big believer that with the inherited wisdom of two millennia of old religion, we've got a pretty good framework to work with. Fascinating. I would say that Neil Ferguson is, Niall Ferguson is conflicted. For while he's not a Christian, his beliefs, his, many of his beliefs, his values and his hopes and his dreams are. Where do they come from? I think that's where uh, many people today find themselves. And we're hearing more and more uh, of atheists these days who need the creation myth. We need God. We need him. We desperately need to hear from him. God says, I've shown you, I've told you, O oh man, what is good. And good God made a good world. And he's, the goodness of creation is a testimony to his, God's goodness. And he's made us in a way that we can have a relationship with him. And that's through Christ, and that's what this is, this is all about. Goodness and uh, justice come from God. And to be a good human, we need God. That's the starting point, because it takes God to make a man or a woman. Human life comes from God, and God is good. I would suggest that the first thing God wants us to know about him, the very first thing he wants us to know about him, is that he's good. Uh, along with the fact that he made everything and he's Lord over all creation. He's good. How has God told us? There's the natural world that gives glory to God. Paul says um, in Romans chapter 2 that, he put, that he's written it in our hearts. We're hardwired. Hardwired. We don't always know what the right thing is, but we always know there is a right thing. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, God has put eternity in our hearts. Um, Remember uh, Acts chapter 14 we read earlier? Witness of the natural world. You know that uh, the recognition of the existence of, of goodness uh, and the existence of a good God are logical inferences. Uh, the, the goodness in the world is a logical inference for the existence of a good God. Um, creation tells us that the creator exists and, and that he's good. You, you know, for many years I thought, you know, there's, there's, when you look at creation, you can see the power of God, right? His creative power. But, but it's limited to how much we can know about God through creation. That's why we need scripture. But you know, there is. The, the goodness of God is also witnessed in creation. And Paul even... Paul says this in Romans chapter 1. Take a look. Romans chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them. And he's talking to, about people there. You probably know, realize he's talking about people there who've rejected, the, the, uh, rejected uh, God. Um, it's, it's, known, it's plain to them because God has shown it to them. 
for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. So it's not just his power, his nature. And I would submit to you that God is by nature good. That's his nature. Completely. God is completely good. God is infinitely good. So they are without excuse. Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the earth. That's what the psalmist is talking about. The idea that nature speaks. God says through Micah, I have told you, O man, what is good. Um, Creation speaks. Scripture. Um, maybe, maybe you have uh, issues with the inspiration and authority of Scripture. Maybe you're not prepared to go there and say, oh, I don't, I don't believe the, what the Bible says. Well, let me ask you uh, if you believe in logic. Because without the notion of right and wrong, life becomes absurd. And... Uh, I, I, I think that that's why many, many contemporary atheists are, are really searching. They're really, really doing some, uh, some hard thinking because it just makes sense to believe in God. It's logical to believe in God. Even without the scriptures, it's logical to believe in God. It's logical to believe right and wrong. It does not make sense. Life doesn't make sense. Even the very existence of logic itself. Logic, we need to, to understand this, logic is part of creation. We are created to process things logically. And logic is the opposite of blind chance. So even logic itself, what's it say in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the logos, where we get the word logic from. Logic comes from God. God is logical. And this is all part uh, of this. And so justice doesn't exist without these realities. Of course, our logic is limited, but Tom Holland um, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to the end of this, so, so hang in there. Tom Holland, uh, who is another brilliant award-winning historian, uh, you may have heard of him, uh, but he wrote in the New Statesman in 2016, he's, he wrote these words. He said, it took me a long time. And this article, by the way, he entitled this article, Why I Was Wrong About Christianity. And he said in that article, he said, it took me a long time and sometimes it does take a long time. Sometimes it takes a long, it took a long time for, for any of us. Maybe it's taken you a long time to come to the reality that there is a God and that he's good and that you're accountable to him. It takes some of us longer than it takes others. But he says, it took me a long time to realize that my morals are not Greek or Roman but they are thoroughly and proudly Christian. 
Now, I don't even know if Tom Holland is Christian. I, 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 didn't, I couldn't find that out. He may not be. He's not claiming to be a Christian. He's just saying, my, my morals are Christian. He, he always thought that they, he got them somewhere else. And now he realizes that, and, and he's an award-winning historian. His specialty is history. Understanding the world in regard to the past, where this all came from. I just want to read a couple more scriptures with you and, and finish up, but um, I really want for us this morning to think about the goodness of God because that's where it all starts. If it doesn't start there, where does it go? Well, it goes where our culture is going. That's where it goes. But that's where it all starts, with the recognition of the goodness of God. Psalm 136 I mentioned earlier about Paul and Barnabas traveling and, and, and coming into this situation where people had no, uh, no benefit of the scriptures. But the Hebrew people, they had the scriptures. They not only knew that uh, a good God existed, but they knew him personally through the revelation of the prophets and the scriptures that are inspired by, by God. Psalm 136 Verse 1, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. That steadfast love there, we're going to be looking at that in week 4. It's, used, it's the word that's translated mercy in Micah 6, 8. Okay. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 5, to him who by understanding made the heavens for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth before the waters for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule the day for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night for his steadfast love endures forever. Forever. Now, I know it's poetic, and you're allowed to uh, repeat yourself when you're writing poetry, but I think that there's a point to be made here, right? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 100, I love it. I, I should be able to do it from memory, but I'm not going to try. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. He's told you, O man, what is good. Well, when was that, Lord? Starts at the beginning. Where, have you t where, did you t where do we see that? Well, we see it in creation. We see it in, in, uh, in Scripture. And the place where we see it most of all is, of course, where? Where is the goodness of God most on display for you and I to see? 
It's in the gospel. It's in Jesus. It's in the son of God who was willing to pay it all. Leave heaven. Leave to come to suffer and to sacrifice himself. You want to challenge the atheistic, materialist, humanist belief system? Try that one. How do you support the concept of self-sacrifice? How do you propose that it's right and good for somebody to make personal sacrifices for the benefit of others? You can't do that without a biblical theology of, of goodness and a good God. And, and, and Jesus Christ is the ultimate demonstration of that kind of love, that kind of goodness. Please, please understand, love comes from goodness. God loves us because he is good. Why else would he love us? Because we're good? No, that's not the way it works at all. And that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says that God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that is the epitome of goodness and love. As we go through this next nine weeks, we're going to have all kinds of opportunity to think about the goodness of God and how the goodness of God is demonstrated in justice, in mercy, and in humility in our lives. And I hope and pray that we will grow immensely as individuals and as a church family over the course of the next nine weeks. Why don't you stand with me this morning, if you would. Whether you're here this morning or joining us online, either way, I, I invite you to pray with me uh, at this time, if, if you will. Lord God, I thank you for this tremendous group of people, and I thank you for the, their willingness to, to listen to consider these things this morning, especially think, Lord, how we've read in your word about your, uh, your goodness and how you've shown it and how you show us in all of creation that you are there and that you are good and how, Lord, you've uh, told us in your word over and over and over again of your goodness And of your, your justness and your mercy and your humbling of yourself. That you took upon yourself the form of a servant and humbled yourself, Lord Jesus. Even to the cross. And I pray, Lord, for folks right now that there wouldn't be even one that would not be caused and be stirred in their heart to to look and to see not only your goodness in creation, not only 
what your word tells us about how good you are. But may our eyes be lifted today to the cross of Jesus Christ where we see that love, that great love that, that you have for us, that you would be willing to do that, Lord Jesus, for us. And may we respond in our hearts. May that grace turn into that kind of gratitude that would translate into changed lives, lives of justice, mercy, and humility as we walk humbly before you in these days. I pray that you would create faith by your Holy Spirit in the hearts and lives of those who are hearing these words today. In Jesus' name, amen.
Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word.